Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Well, a, uh, a pretty familiar passage of Scripture here in the book of James, and I've been saying that every week because for the most part, uh, James has got a lot of these sections and these verses that sort of stand out and could make it on bumper stickers and Facebook posts. But uh, this morning as we get into James chapter 3, I'd like to preach from the title, Tongue Tied. Tongue Tied. Have you ever been completely tongue tied? I don't know if you could think back to a situation in your life recently where you were just at a complete loss for words. You didn't know what to say. That's what this expression often means. Uh, maybe you're in a situation where someone said something so insane and you didn't know how to reply. So you just looked at them, tongue-tied. Or maybe somebody confronted you about something and you didn't really know how to defend yourself and you were just speechless. Maybe someone asked you some deep theological question. Like earlier, like I mentioned, can God make a rock too big he can't lift? You know, something along those lines, something philosophical. And all you could do is just sort of go, smile and nod, you know. Uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I know that. Uh, we, we find ourselves in these situations where we just don't know what to say. I found myself at 17 years old, tongue-tied, uh, in, in a situation that was nightmarish, nightmarish. Now, some of you guys... I've been able to share a little bit about my own story, about how my faith journey coming to Jesus. I had a, a, a life-changing encounter with Jesus at the age of 18 uh, that was surrounded by a community of God's people, a discipleship program that set the course of my life forever. I am still this, tend to be the same, the same knucklehead that needs Jesus desperately, but the course of my life changed. It was now after the things of Jesus. Prior to that, though, I was raised in a Christian home where I was taught about the love of God, taught about Jesus, the gospel, the Bible, all that stuff. And you know, when you are raised in that environment, you get really good at faking your way through it. And I was good, like Oscar-worthy good, like Green Book-worthy good. Like I was good at faking my way through my Christian childhood. Um, eventually, my, my, um, my crazy hidden rebelliousness came to the light. Um, my sin sort of found me out, and my parents didn't really know what to do with me at that age, uh, 16 or 17, and just kind of uncontrollable. So I ended up going away to a, a correctional, so to speak, almost rehabilitational program called Teen Challenge. Anybody ever heard of that before? Teen Challenge, some of you guys have, okay. And so I spent 15 months in Teen Challenge. And the first six months, I continued my fake streak well. Now, it was toward the end of this program, that's when I had this significant encounter with God. But on the front end, I was faking it till I was making it. And here's what unfortunately happened. Before I went to this program, I got kicked out of my Christian private school. I was asked to leave on biblical grounds. Um, and so I did that um, reluctantly, but I left. And so word gets back to the Christian private school I was a part of that, wow, have you heard what's happening in Andrew Lundy's life? He, God is really changing his life. He's a new man. And the truth here is that's not true. That, that's, that hasn't happened. I've gotten really good at faking it. And so someone got the bright idea. I don't know. They might have had a broken vetting process. But they said, let's get him to come in and share his testimony to our chapel. About six to 700 middle school and high school kids. Um, and so there I was on a breakaway one weekend, a, a, a home weekend. I was lined up to come on in on a Friday early and share my test. I didn't have a testimony. I, I just had new Christian things. But I had this fake testimony. I was going to stand up in front of this school and for 30 or 40 minutes give my spiel of how God changed my life. And I was doing pretty good the first five minutes. Like, I feel like I was holding my own. You know, guys, God so loved the world. Did you know that? That he gave his only begotten son? I think I was just, like, going, like, pretty much expositing John 3.16 for five minutes. And then at the 10-minute mark, I ran out of things to say. I just stood there. And, like, come on, a lot of you guys here, you hate that awkward silence. Like, I even just did it a little bit. I went quiet, and you're like, come on, talk, say something, right? Like, we're talking about the most uncomfortable, awkward silence you ever had in your life. And this is why it was so uncomfortable, because nobody really knew what was going on. I'm just up there, and I'm dead quiet. 
And then I, and I just put my head down. And, third, and people, at this point, they're like, oh, he's getting emotional. And I put my head down. And they're like, oh, this is so powerful. You know? <laughs> this is life-changing. And then after 30 seconds, almost getting into a minute now, I just pick my head up. And I'm like, I don't have stuff to say anymore. So they had to send some guy, one of the student leaders came and kind of bailed me out, picked up my fumble, and was like, yeah, awesome. So you know, he kind of like picked up the back end. Uh, needless to say, for some reason, they've still invited me to come back to speak at CCA Chapel. But I just said the school. That's awesome. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, it was one of those uh, uncomfortable nightmares, tied tongue situations. Um, it's funny, when I was telling the story to Brittany, she's like, the crazy part about that story, Andrew, is that you didn't have something to say. Like, like for you to actually be up there and not have something to say <laughs> is the story. But I said, I love you too. Um, now here in James chapter 3, we have a, a, a similar topic. We have the focus here in James 3, which is on the same thing. It's on a tide Tongue. That's the theme here of James 3, a tied tongue, but not the same kind of tied tongue that we just talked about. In James 3, we don't have a tied tongue that is at a loss for words, but James describes a tied tongue that has control of its words. He uses the phrase, a tamed tongue. In fact, the way he goes about this in James 3 is he sort of calls out an untamed tongue. Tongue. If there's one focus of this chapter that James is, is drawing our attention to, it's the devastating effects of an untamed or an untied tongue. And remember, we've been going through this series looking at what it means to be new in Jesus. We've seen already how Jesus changes as his new creations. He changes our feet. He changes the way that we walk through trial and temptation, man. He changes our ears. He changes the way that we hear and respond to God's word. We learned last week that God changes our hands even and how we deal with those who might come into our assembly, how we deal with those that maybe don't match the categories that we tend to show favoritism towards. He, he changes even how we treat those who are in need. And we're not those who have faith without works who come along and just say, hey, God bless you. I hope you find some food. You know, the gospel it informs our lives, but it also transforms our lives. It makes us different people. To be impacted by the gospel and not be changed is to not be impacted by the gospel. It transforms everything. And here in James 3, James gets into a very practical area of our lives that Jesus has come to transform, and it's our, our speech. It's what we say it's how we say it. It's when we say it. It's why we say it. It's the tongue. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about our speech, unfortunately. He has a lot to say about the things that we have to say. It's in Matthew 12. That's one of the most, I think, clear passages where Jesus describes the fruit of our lives being the actual words that come out of our mouths. He's speaking specifically here to the Pharisees that were rejecting him. And he tells us there in verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. This is like a commonly quoted passage of scripture to talk about how the real evidence of you being a follower of Jesus and being changed by Jesus is not just that you can profess things about Jesus, but there's things about your life that actually look like you've been changed. And it's interesting because we, we often use this to describe our works, like last week. But here, when Jesus says this statement that a tree is known by its fruit, he's saying it's your words. That's the context here. It's your speech that is the greatest evidence of who you are. You can think about it this way. I wrote it down this way. You could write it down to understand it. That what we say has a lot to say about who we are. I think according to Jesus, it's probably the main, if not the most, honest and clear expression of who you really are. This is how Jesus would gauge what was in the heart of a man. What you're really like is what comes out of your mouth. And I don't just mean like what you say once, because we all say stupid 
things. We all, we're going to learn. We all stumble. But it's to look at the full body of what comes out of my mouth. What sort of word does my tongue exercise? And Jesus said, those words are going to be the fruit of who you really are. Just as a tree is known by its fruit, you could say that a person is known by their words. And this makes sense, right? Because this is who God is. We learn this about God. Um, Words, communication, they are a means of revelation. Okay, that's why God, aren't you thankful that God gave us his word? A lot of people, they're like, man, I just, I can't follow God. I really wish God could like come out of a cloud and show me himself. Like, okay, fine, you get to see some things. Maybe you have a vision. There's people all throughout history that God in his grace has allowed them to see some kind of manifestation of his presence. But God knows what we desperately need to know him and follow him. It's his words. So he's given us his word. This is the best news about God. Not just he is who he is, but in who he is. He chose to reveal to us who he is through his words, most clearly through the person of Jesus Christ, who is the word made flesh. The word made flesh. This is how we know what someone is like. This is how God has led us to know what he is like. And this is how we are to be known as Christians. When was the last time we thought of it that way? I don't know about you. I, I tend to think a lot about my Christian testimony and witness by the way I live my life. I don't think about enough the way that I speak. What I have to say. You know, I thought of it kind of like, if an illustration, it's kind of like an accent. You know, when someone has an accent, you, you know where they're from. I live for... About two years down in the Bahamas in Nassau, yeah, with all my bays down there, it was a really good time. Eh? And great. Um, the other day, I was at a wedding on Friday, beautiful wedding. Ethan and Lauren, who's in our church, they just got married on Friday, and and this guy was bringing us some hors d'oeuvres, and and he said, "Would you like to try I don't know, something like that?" You know, and I'm not. Even, I'm gonna stop doing the accents, okay? Um, <laughs> but he offered me uh, some bruschetta. The way he said bruschetta. Just from my time in the Bahamas, I know the difference between someone from Trinidad, someone from Jamaica, and someone from the Bahamas. The Bahamian dialect or accent, it's, it, it's, it takes statements and turns them into questions. So instead of saying, Were you at, or, or you're at church today, it's, you're at church today? Like, it's a question. Everything becomes a question on the back end. And, and so I just knew. I, I said, you're from the Bahamas? He goes, yeah, Nestle. And so I, I got to talk to him about the Adventure Learning Center a little bit. It was pretty cool. But I know for me, it's identifiable. It's identifiable. Same with us, man. The Bible says that we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. Did you know that heaven has an accent? There's a way to talk that people go, where are you from? What is this about you? And as the new humanity in Christ, this is what God is leading us to be. The accent of heaven, in my definition today, it looks like being, and it sounds like being, uh, the way this plays out, tongue-tied. That's what I said earlier. That's kind of the goal here. Uh, let me give you my definition of what I mean by tongue-tied. Uh, to be tongue-tied, according to James here in James 3, it's to have the entirety of your speech under the control of the Holy Spirit. This is the accent of heaven. To have the entirety of your speech under the control of the Holy Spirit. For have a, a tame tongue. Uh, and I think the word entirety of your speech is important there because in this day and age, technology has developed all these different ways for us to communicate. So now communication goes beyond just what you say with your mouth. It used to be out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but now it's like out of the abundance of the heart, the thumb tweets. Like it's developed. And so. It's the way you tweet, it's the way you email, it's the way you text. It's the communication that comes from your mind and your heart to those around you in whatever form it takes. And there's an accent to heaven that the entirety of your speech would be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Not out of control, in your control, but under the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me just say this too, that that's the vision that we get as those who are new in Christ. We are new in Christ, not because we've done a bunch of good things, but because God is a really good God. And every person in this room, apart from Jesus, is in desperate need of knowing that good God. He created you. He made you. He formed you. He loves you. And he loves us so much, the Bible says, that he demonstrated his own love toward us 
So much more than just saying, I love you with words, but he demonstrated those words in his life by sending his son Jesus to be a substitute for us, to bridge the gap between us and God, to go to a cross as a sinless man, but on that cross to be treated as a sinful man so that you and I, who are sinners, could be made righteous through him. He bore our sin so that we could wear his righteousness and be clothed in him. That's the good news of the gospel. And he, in his death, he was buried and rose again. He rose, and even now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that all you have to do to be forgiven of your sins, to be made right with God, is to trust in, that, in what Jesus did. To trust in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. You trust in that as the means to be right with God. Not your own works, which nobody one day will be able to get access into heaven and right standing with God because they were good enough. Nobody. But through Jesus, he makes us righteous. And the Bible describes that as those people who have been made righteous in Christ, something new has happened. It says in the Bible that when you become a Christian, when you become born again, you become new, a new creation. And you're right with God, but I think this is the good question that we ask. So now as a new person... What does that look like? And, and Romans gives us a great understanding of, you know, moving forward in that. It says, do not present, as those who are new in Christ, it, it encourages us, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. The context here is we used to be slaves to sin. That's all our bodies could ever do because our hearts were dead. But we've been made alive in Christ, so we no longer present our bodies, our members, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But we present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members, the literal idea there is like it says here in James 3, your tongue is a little member. It's your body parts. It's your physical being. You present it to God as an instrument of righteousness. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just Jesus, you gave up your life for me, but you now own my life and I give it to you. Here it is. I present it to you. Take all of me. Take my feet, wherever you want me to go. Take my hands, however you want me to serve. Take my ears, however you want me to listen. Take my eyes. Help me see people the way that you see them. And certainly Jesus calls us to present our tongues, to present our mouths and say, God, here is my speech. Control it. Control it. It's yours. They're no longer my words. We start praying things like the psalmist. May the words of my mouth, Psalm 119, and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. We start to have a concern for those kinds of things. And James helps us get there. In this passage, James gives us three characteristics of a tied tongue. Three characteristics of a tongue that has been presented to God and a mouth that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at each of these characteristics. It starts with this first one here. Write this down. A tied tongue, number one, knows its tendency. That's the first thing that we saw here in James 3, that a tied tongue under the control of God, it knows its tendency. James describes the tendency of the tongue there in verses 1 and 2. We read it. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things, verse 2. But if anyone doesn't stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. This is interesting, right? James is like, listen, we're all sinners. We all stumble in many things. The word stumble there means like what you think it would, trip and fall. Like we could go around right now and we could spend hours being like, hey, how'd you trip and fall spiritually this week? Oh, this, this, that, and the other. And he said, okay, here's, here's the thing. We're all sinners. But the one thing that we extra have in common as super sinners is that we all have a tendency to sin with our speech. No matter who you are, where you're from, when you're from, what background you came from, this is a universal tendency of sinful humanity to sin in our speech, to stumble, stumble with our speech. So much so that James says, like, if you don't stumble in your speech, like say you sin in every other way, but if you don't stumble in your speech, you're perfect. Any perfect people in here? Anybody here, you've never had a situation where you said something you wish you didn't? Or how about this, you didn't say what you should have? You had a chance to speak up and you didn't? Anybody in here perfect? He says, if you're the kind of person who, who never has to say, I wish I didn't say that, or you never have to say, man, I wish I would have said this, you're a perfect 
Man, he says this tendency is so large, like the, the, the nature of the sinfulness of the tongue is so real that you should, and he cautions the church, that we should all be very cautious about pursuing the role in the ministry of teaching. We know that in the church, Ephesians 4 describes that he gave some in the church to be pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I think it's important to describe what that actually means. Pastors are not called to show off their exegetical preaching skills. What up, LeBron? Check me out. That's not what church is for. We don't come to church to enjoy a show. We come to church to be equipped to fulfill our own ministry. Not to consume and spectate and, and score another man's ministry. The gift of the pastorate, which is a shepherd to serve the body. He, he serves the body by leading her through the teaching of God's word. And equips the saints to fulfill their own ministry. The ministry of making Jesus known in the world. And with that ministry, James says, it's a, 1 Timothy says it's a good thing to desire that, first of all. So if right now you're feeling, you're like, I feel called to that. Oh, I, okay, never mind. No, I don't. I sin when I talk. James, 1 Timothy 3 says it's a good thing to desire that, but let there be a, there's a weight to it. There's an accountability to it. There's a stricter judgment, and you should go, you should take into consideration the fact that humans sin in their speech. I have to take this into consideration every single Sunday that I'm going to stand up with a microphone in my hand and talk through it to people's ears. I have to take into deep consideration that I am incredibly fallible. I am incredibly broken. I am really good at saying things that I shouldn't. And, and it causes me to be a little bit more dependent. And I, and I often pray this, God, I know I'm not going to speak perfectly. This is the weight that's off, right? Like, I'm fallible, but God's word isn't. That's the good news. And so I know, God, that I'm going to say fallible things. I just pray that at the end of the sermon, whatever was of you would be remembered. And whatever was of me would just fall to the ground. And the custodian sweeps it up when we leave. Like, that's my heart. Like, let's just get it gone by the time we're, we're out of here. But there's a weight to that because, again, of the sinfulness of speech. We, we should be very cautious in our teaching to know that we are prone to say things that are not of God. In fact, Romans, you know, Romans chapter 3 is like kind of the passage to describe um, how much we need God to save us. How far we in our own sin have gotten from God. And it's interesting, when you look in Romans 3 at the description, uh, you know, there's one part there where it says, like, nobody even seeks after God. Like, that's how bad this is. Um, not only have we run away from God, but we, like, we want nothing to do with God by nature. We want our elbow room. We want to be our own gods. We don't want to seek after God. And, and, and in Romans, he's quoting from the Psalms, Paul is, to really describe how, how bad it really is. Like, sin is not like, oh, he stole a cookie from the cookie jar, oops, you know? Like, it's not this sort of lightweight issue. It's an issue because it's sin that's against a holy God. And there's real consequences and outcomes, and there's weight to it. And in that description of how depraved and fallen humanity is in need of a Savior, he, he describes the fallenness of humanity. I think this is so interesting in Romans 3 by saying, here's how you know that people are sinners, what they say. So here's the description in Romans 3. It says that humans, as those who have fallen short of the glory of God, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This, this is how the Bible describes our need for a Savior. This is our condition. And I love that he kind of like, he includes every part of our communication there. He's like, what part of me is fallen and needs Jesus to save it? All of you. Your throat your lips, your tongue, your mouth, like every part of you is in need of the saving grace of Jesus. If you need some evidence to this, if you're like, well, I don't really know if I see this, it's true. I'm gonna, here's a place where you can go. It's called uh, the YouTube comments section, okay? There's a place in the internet where this verse is fulfilled on a daily basis. It's Instagram. I mean, it just, it's out there. It's not hard to find. Go to a middle school cafeteria, okay? You're in one. Perfect. Camp out. Camp out, you can hide back here tomorrow. Just come in and just start to listen, okay? Um, this is our condition. It makes sense, doesn't it, that the Proverbs say that it's in the multitude of words that sin is not lacking. <laughs> it's like, here's, if you don't want to sin in your speech, just don't talk. That's what it says. The more words, the more sin. <laughs> That's interesting. He who restrains his lips... 
is why. So this is what James starts with. We all stumble, we all struggle, but there's a universal tendency of humans to sin in their speech. Here's the question where we can get a little personal. What's your tendency? Let's just sit on that for a second. Let's think about this. How do you tend to stumble in your speech? How do you tend to sin in your speech? Let me try to give some clarity to it. Here's the standard. Ephesians 4.29 encourages us to let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. This is what God calls us to. As Christians, we are people whose lives have been changed because God has given us a word of blessing, a word of grace. And as those who represent him to this world, our mouths are to possess that same blessing. And so that every word, here's the standard that's to come out of my mouth, here's the goal, it's helpful to build those around me up. My words, it actually brings grace and blessing to them. This, this is the standard. Let me give us a couple examples of how we would and how we do fall short. Maybe you can prayerfully look out for your tendency. Um, stumbling speech. Here's four categories of how we tend to stumble. Uh, first would simply be what we say. What we say. Meaning we say things that are not edifying. Um, and, you know, all right, let's just go here. So cursing. You know, a lot of cursing today that's like in the church, it's like, don't say that word. It's like, it's just culturally impolite words. Like a lot of Christians, they're okay with like, oh, Christian cuss words. Good. I like those. Like frickin' and darn and gosh. <laughs> imparting grace to the hearers all day long. And then you just change some vowels around. It's like, <gasps> And a lot of this has to do with, with cultural impoliteness. And let me just be honest. Like as Christians, if our speech is going to offend people as representatives of Jesus... We should want to do everything to inhibit that. We, we want the gospel to be clear. We don't ever want cultural impl- Like if you go, to an, you, know, you go to other countries and certain words are actually not curse words, they're good words. And good words, we're like, we're here, you know, we're like, oh, man, my toe is bloody. And then in England, they're like, oh, what did you see? He said like pretty much the F word right there, you know? Like th- there's cultural impoliteness. I know this is making some of us squirm a little bit because we've been raised conditioned to go Good, bad, good. Well, hold on. Give me a second here, okay? Let's, let's think maturely for a second. Let's be mature enough to talk about these things. There's some words they're just that we shouldn't use them because they're offensive. There's other words that we shouldn't use them because they're sexually charged. And they provoke imagery that is antithetical to following Jesus and words and ideas and concepts. Ephesians talks about filthy language and coarse jesting. That's crude, and, and it's, it's just sexually impure. And for a guy like, uh, like me and most of in this room who've come from sexual brokenness and girls as well, those words don't build me up. They actually set me back. And then there's other words that would be curse words, that they're curse words in the sense that when we say them, we're cursing people. We say go to, and we're cursing them. That's not the gospel. It's not go to hell. It's go to heaven. You following me here? So, so our, this, let's just quantify these things. We need to understand this is what we're talking about. Our speech, is it of blessing? So what are you saying? And is what you're saying ever becoming a hindrance to the message of the gospel through you? A message of blessing. Maybe it's not just that, but how about this? Um, a lot of times what we say finds this sin in uh, who we say it to. And this is, gossip is one of the most, um, most unrepented over sins in the church. Like, because it's easy to hide it. And it's easy to mask it in spirituality because you're praying for them. You just, want, you just want you to know so you could pray. I just wanted to share someone else's private uh, info with you so that you can pray. Oh, good thing you did that. Um, that's good. They wouldn't have had that. Now, what we do is we mask the gossip the slander. We share business with other people that's not their business to know. It's not our business to share. Here's the standard. Does it build them up when you say it? 
What about the person that's hurting? Does it build them? Is it a message of grace? Or is it a way for you to say, look what I know that you don't? And a lot of times this is what it's, what it's rooted in. How about outbursts of wrath in the speech that comes out, right? Like sometimes the words we say, the reason why they're, we shouldn't say them is because they're, they're words of actually, it's rooted in our, it's anger. So we say these curse words or these frustrations or we even use the name of Jesus as a frustrated expression, which again is this corrupted word or even hateful word. So that's, that's one category that probably most is couched in that word, what we say. And it's kind of simple there that no corrupt word needs to proceed out of our mouth except that which builds others up. How about this one, when? Like, this is another big one. Uh, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. Sometimes the biggest errors is, is the right thing at the wrong time. And um, it's a lack of, of clarity to know this is a good thing. But, like, sometimes, you know, it's interesting how you can even, like, be like, here's a Bible verse, but you just need to listen right now. Like, you need to practice the ministry of silence and, and listen. You know, Job's friends who were just with Job, it all went wrong when they started opening their mouths and trying to solve his problems with their own perspectives. And sometimes we sin in, in what we say, but it's also when we might say it. How about how we say it? This is a huge one. You know, you could say the right thing in the wrong way, and it now becomes the wrong thing. Married couples, you know that this is... This can be detrimental. This can change the course uh, of a, a you know, strong fellowship. The course of a, you know, it starts with like a, just a little disagreement. Hey, let's talk. And next thing you know, it's just the tone and the volume and the, the lack of self-control, the lack of a life yielded to the spirit, a life that is, is conditioned to operate in the flesh, that now what you're saying is now an outburst and it's angry and it's louder and it's accusatory. How you say it. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs about that? It says, when you speak like that, all you're doing is stirring up more strife. Harsh words. That's what they do. Colossians says that our speech should be seasoned with salt. Salt makes everything better, especially steak. Your words, too. How you say what you say matters. How about, um, and lastly, why we say it. Why are you saying that? <laughs> I know it's the right thing, but what's your motive for saying it? What's in your heart? What do you really care about? What's the motive behind sharing that? So the question, again, that we're getting back to here is what is your tendency? Okay, what is your tendency? Uh, and that's where a tied tongue begins. A tied tongue, first and foremost, you've got to know your tendency. And if right now you're going, I don't know my tendency, I'd encourage you, this is, might be tough, but to, if you're really not sure, to ask the people in your life that know you best. And just say how, how, say, how do I tend to sin in my speech? You know, you got to trust the person that they love you and they have, they're, they're not telling you that because they're angry with you. Maybe they are, but, you know, ask someone, hey, how do I tend? And some people might go to you and they say, well, you never talk. That's your sin. <laughs> you don't speak enough. You don't give input enough. I need you to speak up more. And you don't. other people might say, you know, you have a lot of right things to say, but you never listen. Or someone might come to you and say, you know what, I, I like what you say, but a lot of times the way that you say it, you sound like you are the most right person in the room. And the Bible says in Proverbs, don't let anyone be wise in their own eyes, and your eyes love to see you as wise, okay? And so, hey, just, and look, can I tell you something? It'll hurt for the good. You will be better, and the people around you will be better because you ask that simple question, how is my speech often harmful? What's my tendency? Uh, secondly, we see that James encourages us to see a tied tongue that not only, we first said, not only knows its tendency, but a tied tongue also knows its tension. Its tension. We all stumble in speech, but here's the thing with speech. He says in verse 3 that we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, look at Carnival Cruise Line. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by the smallest rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member. It's a little member, but it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire can kindle. Little fire that can cause a, an incredible forest fire. And the, the tongue is a fire. Look at that. A world of iniquity 
The tongue is so set among our members, our, our, all of our other body parts, look at this, that it can defile your whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never... Good. <laughs> Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. I remember yelling that at a, at a playground bully in like kindergarten. I'm not even kidding you. Um, and, you know, and some of us were conditioned to say that. that we're, it's, and here's what's so illogical about that statement. Okay? You're saying words don't have an effect by using words. You're like, words can't have any effect, words. Did those words affect how you think about how words don't have an effect? All right? Of course not. You know what James is helping us understand here in this next point? He's helping us understand the real effective power of what you say. What you say matters. It has consequences. It changes things. It's not just like, oh, I really got to work on how I, yeah, how do I stumble? Okay, I'll try to get better. There's, you know, there's a weight to understanding how constructive and or destructive my words can be. It will cause you to, when you realize this, you'll actually start to ask people how you struggle with your speech because you'll understand the weight behind your words. The weight behind your words. Um, here's the way that it says it in Proverbs chapter 18. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, the power of the tongue. And those who love it, the power of it, in, in the right way, will eat its fruit. This is what, what James is describing here. He's describing first just the, the, the nature of the, of the tongue to kill. It's so small. You know, like, like, like a rudder to a giant cruise ship, it, it can affect amazing results. Um, like, like a bit in a horse's mouth. Like a little, like a little fire. Just a, listen. Just a little comment that you make that can spread into someone's misunderstanding about who they are. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we see James is showing us that there's a weight to this, there's a weight to the tongue, and that weight, that power, it has a tension to it. With the same mouth you can kill and with the same mouth you could give life. There's a tension there, wow. With the same tongue, I can bring life, and the same tongue, I can bring death. I can build up and I can tear down. Uh, even the way he describes how my tongue is able to tear things down, it says that it's able to set things on fire. And, and what a sad reality that even hell, the enemy, can use my tongue to bring destruction. I don't ever want that. If I'm not speaking life, he says that even my tongue... Verse 6 says, can be set on fire by hell to set things on fire. Um, your words matter. Um, there's an interesting verse here in, in, in Proverbs chapter 12. It says that there is one whose rash words, I want you to see this, are like sword thrusts. The tongue of the wise brings healing. There's a way to speak that you, you cut at people. And, and your words, they're like sword thrusts. And this isn't like the good kind of like, yeah, like the word of God pierces like a sword and cuts to people's hearts. No, this is your words stab and they kill and they tear people down. Especially in the day and age of, of social media, and there's been so many studies on this that have linked the recent escalation in youth suicide rate. It's up... Um, it's completely doubled amongst teen girls. It's up 30% amongst young guys. It went up 30% from 2007 to 2015. When you look at what happened in that period, the technological revelation, the revolution that we're going through, and now you have things like Snapchat and Instagram, and now people are able to stab people with their words behind the security of a keyboard where they can create a fake username. And they can be, in a sense, these sort of verbal terrorists to these young lives. And we think our words don't matter. And they are directly linking the amount of suicide. And 
man, so much of this depression and identity crisis is rooted in not knowing who Christ is, in, in, in being disconnected from Jesus. But it's like the enemy capitalizes on those lives who don't know joy and peace in Jesus. And he brings along these people with these words who just kind of stab and say, and you, you've seen the stories of, of people who have Facebook-lived and, and took their own life on the internet because their classmates were telling them to. Your words matter. And you go, well, I'm not on social media. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Don't downplay the power of your words to bring destruction. Don't do that. You see, with our words, what we can do is we can talk someone out of who they are in Jesus, man. If you constantly are speaking to, to what's wrong with them, you're constantly speaking to who they are and how broken they are, you know, eventually when you tell someone enough how pathetic they are, they start to believe it. Like, guys, this is so important, too, for us as parents, like, that we are wise about what we say when our children are being disobedient. Because we can very subtly start to shape their identity with our criticisms. And we could all do this. We're called to build each other up with our words. And that's the flip side. Do we see the flip side? You see the tension here? That same mouth that can lead someone to even take their own life, that can lead someone to be confused about who they are in Jesus, that same mouth, listen, a mouth set on fire by hell can bring horrible destruction but a mouth set on fire by heaven can bring life. What an opportunity to say, God, take my mouth. Take my words. Use my words to build others up. What a contrast. Proverbs 12 says that anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Amazing. What, what can, I mean, even a person who's just racked by depression and anxiety, what a friend could be in that situation just to speak words of life into their situation that all of a sudden that heart is glad again. It's able to create life. It's able to build others, others up. I, I think of uh, Jesus and his ministry to Peter. What I loved about Peter was that Jesus always saw Peter for who he was becoming, not just for who he was. And so he said to Peter, follow me, Peter. He said, you are Simon, shifting sand, inconsistent. You're going to deny me to a little girl. Okay. You're Simon. He said, but you shall be Cephas. I know who I'm making you. You're going to be solid. You're going to be a rock. I, I'm going to even throw this out there today and just tell you in a transparent way that I am doing what I'm doing right now. I am, I believe, in the call that I'm in right now because there was men of God in my life who came and they saw past where I was. And they spoke over my life who God was making me. And it's, a, that, guys, that is like life in someone's lungs. When you can do that to someone, it's why, by the way, we, we need each other, amen? amen? That's why we need more than going to church. We gotta be the church. Because I need you and you need me. We need each other's voices to speak what's true because the lies are everywhere. And it's amazing what can happen in your life and someone else's life when you start to come at them and you recognize, okay, there's a tension in what I have to say and I'm not just going to say what I feel to cut you down, but I'm going to see you for who you're becoming in Jesus and I'm going to speak to that. I'm going to believe that when I speak to that, I'm going to be a part of the process of what God is doing, which is making you into that person rather than getting in the way. It's amazing what those words of life can do. The tension, and lastly, we close out with this last point. A tied tongue knows its tendency. A tied tongue knows its tension. And lastly, a tied tongue knows its tenacity. Tenacity. Andrew, you really had to have three words that all start with T-E-N. Like, come on, like, you could have, we would have forgiven you if it was, like, uh, stubborn. Anyway. That's the last thing that we see here. We see the tenacity of the tongue. If you didn't know this, here's a fun fact. The definition of the word tenacity, so you can use it later in a conversation. It means to have an unshakably firm grip on something. It's to have resolute determination. Okay? There's a tenacity. It can't be stopped. It's a grip that can't be ripped. Unshakably firm grip on something, And that's what James has to say about the tongue. He says in, in, in verse 7, he says, Every kind of bird and beast of the field, I love this, of reptile creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Interesting, right? He's like, animals have a tenacity to them as well. 
rawr, and you got to tame them. All right? All right? They're tenacious. But every, every animal has been tamed by mankind. The tenacity wasn't too high for man to have SeaWorld. And it's not a comment about whether or not, anyway, uh, animal kingdom or, or the zoo, right? There's no tongue world. There's no, there's no exhibit where we, so we can control, we have the circuses, we do the lines, they do the dance, and it's this interesting idea. But there's something about, we can tame these incredible, tenacious creatures of the wild, but we cannot tame the tenacious creature, the tenacious muscle in our mouths. That's what this comes down to. Like, we understand how we tend to fall, and we see the tension, but then you're kind of left with this recognition of like, well, good sermon, Andrew, but uh, it's impossible. Because no man can tame the tongue. It's full of poison. It's, I love the way he says it. It's unruly. It's unsubmissive. With it, verse 9, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. But then James goes somewhere in verse 10. Notice this. Out of the same mouth should not proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, look at this. These things ought not to be so. So, so yeah, the, the tongue is untamable. It's, um, it's horribly tenacious. But these things ought not to be so. To, to be used by hell to speak destructive words, despite how difficult it is to tame and tie the tongue, this shouldn't be so as a Christian. Why? Verse 11, because does a spring send forth fresh water? And bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. What is James talking about? James is, isn't this interesting? James is saying the tongue, man, it is, it's uncontrollable. Like what you have to say, it's almost like you're bound to say what you're going to say. But then, then James makes another assumption. He goes, but the source of your speech is not your tongue. The tongue is untamable. But where your words come from is actually somewhere deeper. In other words, where is it coming from? Now, who is he talking? You know, his big brother, right? We keep going back to this. James is big brother. We already read this verse. He said the same thing in Matthew 12 when he says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. The evil man out of the treasure of his, of his heart brings forth evil things. The issue is not with the tongue. The issue is with the heart. This is why God sent his son into this world to change our hearts. Not to give us, here's the words you say, and here's the words you don't say. We'd love for Christianity to be like that legalistic experience where I don't have a relationship with God. I just commit the duties. But what God promised for us as his followers is remember this. Ezekiel tells us this promise of this new covenant where God will give us a new heart and he'll put even a new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. This, trans this actually happens when you are born again. This isn't just a concept. This is a reality that in Jesus, that heart that was stony and hard that dictated all the evil things that came out of my mouth, apart from Jesus, my mouth was enslaved to the sinfulness of my heart, but through Jesus, I get a new heart. I get a new heart. He changes my heart. I become new. I mean, so here's the way we got to understand this. No man can tame the tongue, but God can change the heart. That's what he's come to do. You go, man, I just can't change my speech. Stop working on your speech. Start working on your heart. This is the source of it. And here's what I get. I, I, there's this theological reality where our hearts are transformed by Jesus, but then there's this ongoing reality where my heart is deceitful and wicked. <laughs> and so sometimes I'm like, do I have a new heart? You ever been there? Kind of feel the same thing pumping in my chest right now. And that's why Proverbs encourages us to do this. This is so important. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23 to keep our heart. Or another translation says, guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues 
of life. Out of it spring all that you have to say. Out of it springs all of my sins of what I say, when I say it, how I say it, and why I say it. The tension of my tongue is found in the problem of my heart having this tendency not just to sin, but my tendency to veer away from Jesus. I've got to keep it. The idea there is, is like a guitar, okay? If you own a guitar, you know from time to time you've got to retune it. Its default is not to stay in tune, it's to get out of tune. Guess what? You think our hearts are any different? My heart, your heart, our hearts, it's have a default in getting out of tune. And so we've got to keep our hearts. Now, how do we do that? How do we become people who have hearts that are in tune with Jesus so that our words perceiving from our hearts could be words of blessing and not cursing? And I would say this, it comes from another's words. You see, I, I know this to be true. A lot of you, a lot of you, the reason why you speak the way you do is because that's how you've been spoken to. Your whole life, that's how you've been spoken to. And so you tend to treat others the way that you've been treated, not how you would like to be treated. And a lot of us, that's how we are. So we don't speak up because I grew up in a household where I was told to shut up. And I was told that I don't matter. And I was told that my opinion doesn't matter. Or I speak with such cutting language to people because how broken they are because all you ever heard from life and from mom or dad growing up or friends or whatever it may be or church is that humans are just a pile of garbage and they're not worth anything. And you, you get these flawed theologies and you, you forget that God is a God of love, for example. So that's all you've ever heard. So that's all you ever speak. There's a remedy to this. It's the words of Jesus. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And something starts to change about your speech when something, here's what's interesting, it's your heart, but before it can be your heart, it's got to be your ears. And here's what the psalmist says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'll tell you what, you discipline and you orient your life around positioning yourself under the words of Jesus. You're reading God's word, and as you're reading God's word, you're not just learning stuff, but the word you're hearing is the word of Christ, which is the fact that God has given you grace through his son. You just absorb and you sit under the good news of the gospel. You just receive the grace of God through Jesus. I'm telling you, that will change your heart. It will change you. And the result of that is it's going to change your words. What comes to you starts to come through you in a completely revolutionary way that no behavior modification. And this is the New Testament principle where we close out, invite the worship team to come up. It says in Ephesians 4, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted. There's the heart. We go from speech to the heart, forgiving one another. Now here's the gospel, even as God in Christ forgave you. You see the sequence? Your speech is connected to your heart. Your heart is connected to what you're hearing about who God is and how much he loves you. I'm telling you, absorb that. Position yourself in that place. And as we do that, as we just say, every day we got to do this. God, God, keep my heart in tune. Remind me of your love and grace. Speak your word over my life. What will happen is his word will start to come through us. And we will be those who have our speech not enslaved to our hearts, but our speech will be under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.